Hi, you are listening to Mediation Station, and this is your host, Greg Fenton. Each week, we explore topics and ideas related to the experience of people with conflict and look to promote the profession of conflict resolvers. We are available to connect with at greggf at primus.ca and 647-227-4734. Visit us at our Facebook page to like us and Facebook group page to become a member. Also visit YouTube channels for both CHHA 1610AM and Greg Fenton. Listen to podcasts of each radio show by visiting either of SoundCloud.com or iTunes Podcasts under Mediation Station in the Arts Area. Please follow us at our Twitter account, which is at Fenton Mediation. We're having a conversation what's called Voice of the Child, and with <coughs> us is Deborah Rodriguez. Hi, Deborah. Hi, Greg. How are you? I'm okay. How are you feeling? Not too bad, thanks. Very good. Appreciate you being here tonight. Thank you for inviting me. Yes. So, so how do you define the work you do as a professional? Well, the families and clients I serve are typically working through major transitions in their lives, whether those are related to personal issues, marital breakdown, or high-conflict relationships with high levels of stress and anxiety. Um, a lot of them are going through separation and divorce, and there might be complicating factors like mental health issues, addictions, or uh, domestic violence. Right. Yeah. Which can be a challenge. It can. That, you know, that further complicates or impacts the individual's transition. It does. Right. I, I like to think of the work I do as a, an opportunity for me to help individuals and families develop strengths and coping skills. Um, it's an opportunity to have an impact um, and, well, through the process of helping them settle conflict. From a wider perspective, I think that when we help individuals, couples, families, we're helping society in general. Right, because uh, we don't live in silos. No. The relationships don't. end up being a lot of times siloed, where the couple have become separate components of a relationship. Though, you know, when a family as individuals and groups, we're all part of a societal contribution. We are all right? connected. Yeah, yes. We're all connected. And there are impacts and consequences from the lived experiences of individuals into the broader community. Yes, there is. So with mediation, um, the way I look at it is it's more than just helping parents reach an agreement uh, when they're separating. It's also an opportunity for renewing relationships, for improving children's lives and helping people cope with stress and anxiety. When people learn to, to cope and make positive changes in their lives, it resonates throughout the family and extended family and community. So for you as a person, because I, I try to help the listener get a context or a frame from who you are, the person talking. What are the influences for you in terms of the work that you do? Uh, well, I would say one of the biggest influences was how I started my career, which was in child protection services. I learned a lot in that position and saw a lot of children over the years who were very needy and especially in cases where the parents were separating the emotional, psychological, and sometimes physical abuse um, was um, difficult, right? It's difficult to mm -hmm. see them in that position. I learned a lot. I learned that children need to be protected through the process of their parents' separation and divorce. 
Um, children shouldn't be caught in the middle. You know, children shouldn't be relaying messages between parents and so on. Um, and I think from that, from the beginnings of my career, um, and 33 years later, or 34 now, I think, uh, I have got to the point where I've developed a, a program, a training program, for the voice of the child, for practitioners right. who learn that process to be able to give children a voice. What do you do as a <laughs> professional, though? What's your current practice? Uh, okay. Well, um, I'm a social worker, and um, I've also got a number of certifications in mediation, family mediation, elder mediation, child protection mediation, um, and I'm also a therapist and a trainer. I remember my very first day at work in child protection with my supervisor throwing 10 cases on my desk and telling me to investigate. You know, back then, there wasn't any training. So training is a really important piece of all the work that we do as professionals. I began teaching core protection courses across the province for the Institute for the Prevention of Child Abuse, which doesn't exist now. The training included interview skills for CIS workers and police officers meeting with children. I started my private practice in 1992, PCCS mediators and counselors, and through that I've provided custody and access assessments, I worked for the Office of the Children's Lawyer for many years, parenting coordination, mediation, therapy, um, family group conferencing, and a host of other services. Right now, I have seven associates working for me with offices um, across uh, mm -hmm. Peel, Halton, and Wellington regions. And we provide uh, family mediation, like separation, divorce, elder mediation, child protection mediation, and counseling and training. I also supervise interns, mediation interns. So and those are individuals who want to gravitate into the, quote, umbrella of family mediation. Yes, They need right. the practical so, learnings. Yeah, so they've um, completed five courses in mediation, and then they need uh, approximately 100 hours of practical experience right. to become an accredited mediator. Mm -hmm. And I've spoken at several conferences over the years, including the Ontario Court of Justice's conference, OIFM, FMC, and recently FEDRIO on the Voice of the Child. So this, uh, that's the Ontario Association for Family Mediation. That's uh, Family Mediation Canada and Family Dispute Resolution Institute of Ontario. You got it. Yeah. That's right. Just for the benefit of the listener. <laughs> yes, of we, we We know the acronyms. It's just to provide insight for the mm -hmm. listener, for the benefit, yeah. for them to understand. And in the past year, I've also picked up um, working with uh, teaching as an instructor at York University in the family mediation program. Yeah, and how's that for you? Love it, actually. Yeah? Yeah, I love teaching. Well, that's where we first met. Yes, actually. that's right. So my career's always been about children and their families and very child-centered type of practice. What is it about the, the child that you see as needing the kind of support or assistance, when, especially when families transition? Well, they can be caught um, in what's going on between the parents, right? So if parents are separating and divorcing, uh, children can often get caught in the middle, can be neglected because the parents are more focused on their own issues, which um, can be understandable in the sense that there's a lot going on for the parents. There may be legal battles, there may be financial issues as a result, um, and a whole host of other things they need to take care of. And sometimes the children's needs um, are overlooked or their feelings are overlooked. Um, they have their own experience of their parents' separation and divorce. It's not exactly the same as the parents experience 
So they need assistance through that as well. And the two parents are going to, in, in a generalization, that they may be dealing with the issues of the child differently from each other as well. That's right. Yeah, that's right, which can create uh, confusion and conflict for the child. Right? right, the child being the most vulnerable, generally seen as the most, uh, especially depending uh, on the age. The younger the child, the less able they are to express their voice, mm -hmm. get their perspective heard and appreciated and considered and factored in. So from your perspective, what is meant by voice of the child? Well, when decisions are being made by the parents or the Children's Aid Society or the court that impact um, a child's life, like where they live or who they see and share time with, you know, either parent, the child may wish to con contribute their own thoughts, feelings, wishes, preferences, concerns, views, in order to have the parents, the CAS, or the court take the child's information into consideration when there's decision-making that needs to happen. So um, it gives them a, a choice to have a voice, to be heard, so that when decisions are being made, like a parenting plan in the case of separation and divorce, the parents can at least hear what the child is experiencing or maybe what the child wishes would happen. And then um, they can make their decisions, the parents can make their decisions um, with that in mind. So well, it really enhances the focus on the children as well, so they don't get lost in the process. Well, people have heard before what's called the Office of the Child's Children's Lawyer. Yes. How is this different, or is there a difference with Voice of the Child and the Office of the Children's Lawyer? Well, the Office of the Children's Lawyer um, recently picked up um, and has uh, picked up the Voice of the Child report. So, in other words, they're now offering that. But not everybody can access the Office of the Children's Lawyer. Not everybody's in court um, where the Office of the Children's Lawyer uh, involvement is requested. So. The opportunity to provide children with a voice can play out in family dispute resolution services like mediation, like collaborative law cases, like um, arbitration even, and um, parenting coordination services. So there's an opportunity that's being missed. Children really are not being asked if they'd like to participate in, um, in that manner in family dispute resolution services, which is growing, which is another opportunity to avoid court in a sense. Um, so these referrals can come from court, but they can also come from lawyers and parents that are going through other types of processes. So people do not have to be involved in an official or formal court process no. in order to <clears throat> engage with the, what we're talking about tonight, voice of the child. Yeah, they, they can be... Um, in court or out of court? So if they're in court, there might be a court order requesting a voice of the child report. If they're not in court, then we should be still asking them if they'd like to participate and share anything. And that can be done through other family dispute resolution processes, including mediation. So I would see one of your purposes, because this is something you're very passionate about oh, and yeah. connected with, oh, yeah. that it would be very important for the public at large, let alone also professionals within the family, quote, mediation world, to be informed and aware of this kind of option. Yes. This, how this as is an asset to contribute to family health and well-being. I think um, right now there's not much knowledge in the, you know, for the public around this. Uh, there's not much information about it. So... 
other than at the office of the children's lawyer, I don't think people are aware they can have this done as part of another process. In terms of a child, like what age range are we talking about? Anyways. Well, that's a difficult question to answer. So first of all, it depends on your expertise, your, your, your skill, uh, your ability as a practitioner doing voice of the child reports, your comfort level, etc. It also depends on the maturity of the child. So are they able to communicate clearly or reasonably clearly around their views and preferences, etc.? So sometimes you might get a, you know, a seven or eight year old who's incredible at expressing themselves and, and very much are self-aware. Um, and then you might get a, you know, a 14 or 15 year old who um, really struggles with that. So a lot of it depends on maturity and so ability. How, how is that identified in terms of the child's capacity to connect with and appreciate what they're going through? So the maturity level. Because as you said, a child of six, well, any age, they're not, it, they're not all the same. We're not all the same. So there might be a more sophisticated six-year-old who's actually at an advanced stage than a 10-year-old, for right. example. It's, so to some degree, um, part of the process is a brief meeting with each parent first, where we gather some very limited baseline information about the child mm -hmm. so we might have an understanding of whether the child has any special needs any learning difficulties things like that so we kind of get a sense of what we're heading into but we don't always know until we meet with the child now the courts um, if they are interested in the voice of the child report they're they're typically looking at um, latency age like you know maybe nine ten and up um, more so the teenagers uh, young teens in terms of weight because you know we have to look at what weight is given to a child's voice when decision-making ha is happening so the judge decides what weight to give the views right. and preferences yeah. and of course parents have to in a family dispute resolution process like mediation they decide how much weight to give that in their decision-making around parenting plans so how does a child get or have a voice in a process involving family transitions well, their parents um, lawyer or lawyers can request a voice of the child report, and the parents need to consent to that. So, you know, upon meeting with parents, we also go through the consent process and what a voice of the child report is, what it's not, um, what are the limits to the confidentiality, and so forth. So they have to consent, and of course, the child needs to consent. It's really up to the child whether they participate or not. Um, it's also up to the child what they share. Uh, children are given that choice to decide what words and what information is shared back to the parents, lawyers, or the court. Um, so it's up to them. They may decide not to share anything at all, or they may want specific things shared. But what what's nice about it is it's an it's a non biased neutral. You know, professional. Independent third parties. Yeah, you know, um, giving them an opportunity to speak, whereas saying something directly to a judge or telling their parents sometimes how they feel about what's going on is really difficult for children. Well, especially when they're, quote, caught between the two parents' struggle be, yes. because the parents are trying to navigate their adult issues and they're not always mindful of the impact of that behavior it that has on the, the most vulnerable the child or children 
Yeah, I mean, we, we have, you know, children who say all kinds of things. Like, you know, sometimes they just want one parent to stop bad-mouthing the other parent. Or they want, you know, the parent uh, to pick them up on time. Or, you know, it can be a variety of things that they talk about. Um, but it's nice to give them a chance to talk. And then if they want something shared, it's really nice to give them that opportunity to relay the message to the big people. So when you say the child is given the, quote, right, if we want to call it, to decide on their own, to partake in the process? Yes. And then they have the, quote, additional entitlement of identifying for themselves the self-determination of what they want to share, if they want to share anything? Yes. Is there a certain age that that's done? Or again, it goes back to the capacity of the child to appreciate or comprehend what they're going through. Well, that applies to any child undergoing a voice of the child report. They have those choices. Okay. In terms of decision making, for example, the court is looking at the best interests of it for the children. Can you unpack that a little bit just to, for the benefit of the listener? Okay. So children don't always understand given their maturity. They're not just mini adults. Um, they're children, and so their maturity for, you know, psychologically, emotionally, and, and uh, intellectually is not as an adult. So they, um, they may not understand the context of the separation divorce and the context of what's happening. Um, so having a voice of the child report is really one piece of the puzzle. Um, so when a court is looking at a family situation and trying to make decisions, the judge trying to make decisions for the family, they have to look at all kinds of pieces of information, what the mother's looking for, what the father's looking for, maybe other types of reports that come to a judge, etc. And the voice of the child is just one piece of that. Is it different to get the voice of the child uh, process going from not being in court to having a file in the court process? So, as I mentioned in in mediation, for example, uh, parents need to provide consent for the process to happen at all. So if one of the parents becomes aware of this and brings it to the attention of the mediator? Yep. Or do they contact a service that provides this voice of the child? Either way. So um, if you, as a mediator... And I certainly recommend getting training. This is this is very complex, sensitive work. The process may, may seem simple, that you meet with the parents and then the child twice and you put a report in. That may sound simple, but it's complex, sensitive work. So anybody who's providing this work should really have training and, and really develop some um, high pro- level of best practices, and et skill. Yeah. Yes, yes, and understand the boundaries and ethics. I think I forgot the rest of your question. Sorry. Well, is it different to navigate when they're out of court or not even involved yeah. in court relative to being involved? And so, so a parent may um, bring it up to the mediator, or the yeah. mediator may suggest it. Um, we sh- we actually have to be mentioning this to people. Children have a right to participate in decisions being made about them. So, really, as professionals across mediation or collaborative law or parenting coordination or any of these types of services in the family law field, we need to be consistently um, letting parties know that this is available to them. Now, they may mention that to their mediator, and if the mediator feels that um, they have the training and they feel 
that this is a case where they can still remain neutral, then they may meet the child, but they can also refer it out to the third party who's trained in voice of the child reports. And so if one parent wants the child, the other parent is hesitant or absolute no? Well, it won't if, a, happen? if a parent is no, no, it's not going to happen. Um, and that would be then up to the court if they go that far. But it's really explaining the process, explaining how it can be beneficial um, and the limits. And um, and then the parents have to decide. Right. And so the, the mediator, for example, would never contact or get involved with the child unless both parents were totally a, in consent yes yeah. yes if it's at, not right. in court when it's not yes, in court yes they have to consent and then the child has to consent yeah so there's that level and wouldn't some parents say well look i have the child's responsibility and i have to give consent for other things would i not be, have that responsibility over my child for this too can I not control that? Do you mean if one parent has decision-making power over the other yeah. and the other parent doesn't have that? Yes. Um, in that case, um, it may may be that that parent can make that decision. But what's you have to think about the point of this. It's to help the party settle issues regarding the children. So then it becomes a matter of is this really helpful if one parent may reject yeah. the information anyway? Well, you know... Our ideal is that both parents would be working in tandem for the best interests of the child, co-parenting in a healthy way. It doesn't always work out that way. And that's why professional sisters of self are needed mm -hmm. to help navigate through those situations. And even when we inform or educate the parents about how powerful a process such as this could be, people get are still stuck a lot of times in their unresolved issues of their adult relationship yeah. with the other parent yeah. and they don't hear that yes but we do get many situations where they're both agreeable even with conflict because they will realize or they do realize that it's important to to know where their children are coming from what what is impacting them um, and what they can do to help their children that's really the focus is what can they do particularly when making decisions like a parenting plan what can they do to assist their children to to move through this separation divorce in the healthiest way yeah and it's it, you know with, with mediation for example to try and get parents not to you know keep attacking each other it's to say because they they have stuff that's brought to them that's unresolved and they're still expressing and living through that in the mediation process to help them shift to what do they both mutually love? It's their child. Right. So get that shift. And so the best interest is you love your child, you love your child. This would help your child. Yeah. Well, it certainly can help the children. Um, certainly the research shows that um, it's in their best interest to have a choice to participate. Uh, and what I find with children is um, when given the, the choice to participate, most of the time they want to, and they have something to say. Well, they're empowered in that sense that uh, they can contribute. They are a party to yes. the situation. Yes. They're living it. Well, and we need to move children from witnessing the, and enduring their parents' conflict or being left in the dark about it completely to protected participants who can have their voice heard to affect decisions made about them. And that's the power of mediation, too, in general. Yes. It's that, you know, distinct from the court process where 
as a person who's affected and going through, quote, negative conflict, you, you know, in the court, you're giving ownership for decision-making to be imposed on you and your family. Yes. Exactly. Whereas in ideal medi- mediation, it's the parties retain ownership of that ability and capacity yes. to create their own outcomes. That's right. And like I said, th- this is one piece of that puzzle, but it can certainly help parents settle. When the child's requested or it's been requested of the voice of the child and you start the process, how do you prepare or organize the child to be part of that process? So after we've met with the parents briefly, uh, then we we meet with the child, each child in a family actually, and we always meet at least twice, right? Um, but it, keep in mind it's a short intervention. Uh, so we explain what a voice of the child report is, the process, like, you know, what happens next, so to speak. Um, also the boundaries and confidentiality. For example, sh- we explain that children have the right to, to participate, but they will decide what is shared. Um, and I like to share it in their words if possible. Um, but we also make sure they understand that, uh, the there are exceptions to confidentiality including any safety issues regarding children so if we're concerned about any harm coming to children or they've expressed or disclosed or they've been it might have been witnessed or experienced in in the family dynamic yeah so disclosures obviously have to be reported professionals have an obligation to do that so we explain all that to them and and um, and then they make the decision whether to be involved or not. And then we make sure they understand this is about their own thoughts, their own feelings, their own views and preferences. This is not about what mom thinks or what dad says or what their brother says. Or, you know, it, we really help them understand this is an opportunity for them. For, from first person. Yes. The, the yeah. individual the child yeah. who's lived and living through mm-hmm. these moments. Yes. So the child is alone with the person? The VCR practitioner, yeah, the voice of the child right. professional. Yeah. So, and, the, and the parent could be outside the room in the, atten- in the event of? Yeah, they're not in the room. They're no, not they're physically n- present no. because no. you know how another person in the room can impact a person's ability and capacity to communicate or just to feel. Oh, of course. Um, we do. There are mitigation techniques in terms of influence that we teach in the training. Um, you know, we parents sometimes don't realize they're influencing. There can be even subtle things. Yeah. You know, um, it wouldn't. I can't tell you how many times. So, you know, I see a parent promising McDonald's after they've come to see me for a voice of the child report and always makes me wonder. You know, is this a promise of eating McDonald's because you've asked them to say something? So we want to do what we can to um, to diminish the influence. So we always have each child bring, each parent, sorry, bring the child. So there's two interviews and, uh, you know. From each of yeah. the, uh, mm-hmm. the two respective Separately. parents. Yeah. yeah. And at least, you know, we look at we look at trying to make it a balanced process. Right. So that both parents can feel they're part of the process. Yes, yes. And that things are not happen- happening in their absence. That's right. Because they're not physically present in the yeah. in the time when you when the individual professional is conducting the conversation with the child. No, they're definitely not in there, and we don't want them, you know, overhearing or anything like that. So, obviously, there's things put in place for that. So, what type of uh, things can a child's involvement in such a process provide for? What what can it contribute toward? 
or help with? Well, you know, I think the most important thing is that can help the parents settle their conflict over parenting issues. You know, for example, you know, I had a case where the mom was moving far away. Um, the kids had grown up in, in this area. And so this really helped settle a, a huge issue. Do they go with mom? Do they stay here? All of that. Now, we don't put pressure on children ever to say, you know, where they want to live or anything like that. But through a conversation with them and through interviewing techniques and so forth, um, that's not interrogative. But um, they often will, you know, share what they truly feel and what they want to do and so forth. So it can help parents settle conflicts. And also parents don't often know how their children really feel or what they prefer. So, And they don't trust each other right. quite often. So the, so one parent might say, well, I think she wants this or she's told me this. And then the other parent says, well, she told me that. And then, you know, there's no trust in terms of what the child's doing. But children get caught in the middle, so they often want to please each parent and say, say things that uh, they think the parent wants to hear, whereas this process gives them a voice right. with a, in, in a safer context. Right, and you're trying to create uh, an opportunity for some trust building yes. amongst the child and the facilitator yeah. and also rapport. Rapport, absolutely. Right, so the child can feel in some measure comfortable, absolutely. even though they're going through a lot of probably issues or discomfort in their lives that provided yeah. why they're doing this yes and to i guess to further answer your question um what it does is it enhances the parents focus on the children so sometimes in mediation parents will be making agreements and not thinking necessarily about how the children might experience something right. you know i can't tell you how many times in mediation for example up we get to the the issue of parents' birthdays, you know, and and whether they want to be with their children on their birthday or whether they think that's significant to put into a parenting plan. And parents will often say, "Oh, that doesn't matter. That's just my birthday," because they're thinking about it from their own perspective. But right. when I say, "Well, what would your children want? Would they want to see you on your birthday?" It changes the whole focus. And, and what about in terms of scheduling, even too? Like, well, when exactly a, when a child is. You know, when the construct is that the adults are in the room with the mediator creating this template of a schedule, defining a routine mm -hmm. of, okay, the child will be here on this day staying, and the child will be here on this day, that's one thing. And then also travel, then summer vacation, going to summer camp. All these things are generally, traditionally, done in the absence of any contribution from the child. Yes, that's right. And that has to change. Not to say that children make the decisions. I mean, we are very clear with children when we meet with them that they do not make the decisions, right? But they can contribute information that they may want their parents to consider. And that they haven't to that point, and they might not have even been aware because of different reasons. And so bringing this in information can help inform, in provide insight to the parents to factor in to the decisions they're going to make as a template for transitioning the family from a unit together to separate units. That's right. What are the things that uh, a professional would be best to be mindful of when working with a child in such a process? Uh, well, um, let me speak to the training. Yeah. So the training I developed is a three-day comprehensive training 
that speaks to the issues a professional has to be mindful of when doing this work. Things like professional boundaries, ethical issues, process issues, interview techniques and skill, and a host of other important topics. If, n if not trained, a professional runs the risk of causing the child to potentially shut down, for example. You know, if you, if you don't know how to build rapport with the child or you ask questions where the child's picking up a, maybe a judgment or yeah. a bias, you may run the risk of the child not wanting to talk. Or they may just answer your questions because they may say things that they think you just want to hear as opposed to how they truly feel. So that's why it's, it's really important to do this job well. Mm. You know, anybody doing this work really needs to have a clear understanding of the dynamics of separation divorce, the impact it can have on children, but more importantly, the child in front of you at the time. You know, child development, trauma, other issues that can impact uh, the voice of the child. And um, we just don't want anyone, you know, causing harm. These children are going through a lot. Um, it can be very stressful. And the last thing we want is for um, people out there doing this work uh, and causing more stress for children. And I would think the facilitator of that process would have to also adapt the, their own skill set for the particular type of child they're working with Absolutely. in terms of their maturity level, their concerns with development and maturity, and be aware, very self-aware of the child, though also themselves in relation to how they're speaking, they're communicating with the child. That's right. Exactly. You know, children aren't, aren't many adults, as I said, so you really know how, you have to know how to connect with children. Yeah. And help them feel comfortable and safe and give them the choice to decide what to, to share. And if you're not capable of doing that within the boundaries of this role, which is very limited, um, you, you can really cause some problems for yourself as a professional too. You know, if you go outside the boundaries of the role um, or you allow your biases or judgment to come into play, you're going to have problems. Yeah, last week's radio show was about uh, are we really uh, how we sound? as mediators right so you know when we speak there's some of us who are mindful of the words we use the words we don't use how we communicate how we don't communicate right. in relation to how someone will react or respond to that mm -hmm. and i think it's imperative that in this situation with the additional emphasis of a vulnerable person in the room that's right that there's that greater sense of understanding that yes oh absolutely so are there particular skill sets as well that, you know, communication, I, w I would think, obviously. Well, you know, and it's specific interview skills. Yeah. Um, so it's learning how to adjust yourself um, in terms of your language, your physical approach in terms of the way you... Your nonverbal... Your nonverbal communication. Yeah. Um, and open-ended questions. You know, if you start out with leading questions, you're going to get the answers the child thinks you want to hear. So there's a number of techniques and skills that we teach in the training that um, help professionals learn how to do this in the most neutral, balanced, non-biased way possible. So what can be some of the challenges of working with a child and, and such? Well, I suppose when you hear a child say that they really wished for something and you know it's not going to happen. You know, that, that that's a lot uh, to, to sort of bear. But... Um, you help, you, you know, part of what I do when I do Voice of the Child reports is I, I do a little bit of reality testing with children, too. 
that you know and remind them the parents make the decisions and parents have to think about everyone in the family you know so it's not just about their wishes or, vo- or voice right um so th- and coping skills you know what do you think about how your parents might respond to what you're saying you know a little reality checking yeah, here. and helping them with some of the coping you know um with what's going on but it's not therapy it's not counseling it's very limited we're sort of in and and out of families lives that way um so we may also provide resources sometimes um you realize that a child might actually benefit from counseling um all you can do really is provide resources to the parents and and the child and it's up to the parents what to do from there right you you provide that option that access to the information the resources It's the individuals to self-determine what to do with it. That's right. And what not to do with it, too. Exactly. How long does a session usually last, each session? Uh, well, that depends on the child. So um, some children can handle more than, you know, half an hour. Uh, you know, we're, we're putting them into a situation. We do some rapport building, and the younger they are, obviously, the more... Uh, we might use something like coloring or drawing or, um, you know, something that helps them communicate without having to just sit in a chair and look at you eye to eye because that's really hard for children with adults. So um, some of that might be going on while they're talking. And um, uh, it's just a matter of um, making that child feel comfortable and adjusting. And, and kids may not want to s- express or have their voice through particularly words. Maybe you provide a coloring book or a, a piece of paper and crayons or something. Can they also help me understand what you're talking about or what you're feeling by putting it to paper that way? Yeah, um, An expression that way? Sometimes, you know, one of the things could be that they draw a picture of their family. Yeah. And from that, you can learn a lot as you review it with the child right. after. You tell me what's going on. Yeah. Why, why did you do this? What's that all about? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't use the word why, well. but, <laughs> you know, I would just tell me what's going on here, you know, and, and who's who, you know, and right. tell me about this person and tell me about that person. Right. And what does this mean? And where did this come from? Or things like just un- yeah, not unfold it. In very open-ended, though. Right. Yes. Very And very balanced. Yeah, and, and then in the manner of which you express it, too, it's, so it's not an interrogation. It's child's language, yes. And, um, you, again, you just really have to adjust yourself depending on the child. So some, some can sit for half an hour, some for an hour. It, it just depends. So it's adaptable. Oh, absolutely. To the, you have to be adaptable. Yeah. We're not holding them hostage. <laughs> well, the whole idea is that it's uh, a, a means to contribute to Helping the family transition from where they're at to hopefully a better yeah. place yeah. that's more sustainable in a more productive, efficient, healthy way. Yes, and hopefully they address, you know, are better able to address the needs of the children. And to go maybe a little deeper at some point, because sometimes in, in the mediation processes, in the absence of not having the child, people create these constructs that are supposed to be the legacy afterwards. And many times they may fall apart because you haven't gotten the child's contribution or buy-in in mm-hmm. terms of decisions that have been made about their lives. Well, especially teenagers. I mean, very difficult to force a teenager to do what they don't want to, right? So, um, yes, the contribution is important. How are you slash person professional affected by the work you're doing with this? Uh, well... <laughs> I guess I could say that 
on the one hand, I feel very passionate about this work um, to advocate Voice of the Child reports. And having developed a very thorough training program, uh, very comprehensive, uh, as a result of those things, I feel very excited and invigorated about this, this particular topic. Um, on the other hand, as a profession, I think we have a long way to go to consistently and routinely offer this to children, um, whether it be in child protection, separation, divorce cases, or other services. So, you know, I look at it from, from I'm excited, but I know we have a long way to go. And I think ultimately, as a person, you know, you, you know, what, what do you take home with you, in a sense, when you're working right, with high-conflict yeah. families? Mm-hmm. Um, really, work-life balance is key, and in that regard, mediations, meditation, yeah. um, has really helped me. I, I, I practice meditation. So um, last year was incredibly busy for me. I worked through vacations. So this time, uh, this particular time, this year, 2020, I intend to make sure I am taking vacations. I think it's really important each day to sort of get get grounded again. Um, in my own life, I have a wonderful family. Mm-hmm. I'm very lucky that way. I'm, I feel grateful to wonderful adult children and, and a great husband. So that that helps ground me every day. Because that that is your foundation. Those are your roots. That's my rock. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so when you go into your professional world, which entails involving other people, yes. And that's not. There's not a lot of predictability with that. No. When every people are going through conflict, day. it's unpredictable. That's right. Yes. So, you know, I think I think everyone has to find something in their personal life that um, helps them feel grounded and helps them feel um, at peace or some contentment when they're providing this type of work. So what does having this conversation mean to you? What would it what would you see a benefit from it, whether you or professionally overall? Um, Well, first of all, I really want to spread the word. Um, that children should be given the choice of having their voice heard in matters that impact them. And not just once, because something something significant could change. You know, children, we're really taking snapshot voice of the child reports. So in other mm-hmm. words, what's going on for that child at that time? But maybe something significant changes in the family down the road, and maybe having that process again would be helpful. Not from an intrusive point of view, but just an option for them. And I also want to make sure that um, professionals know about the training and um, that they should attend if they're considering the work. Uh, Also, that there are many benefits to children and families in relation to a Voice of the Child report. And there are also some risks. We don't know if a child will be reprimanded, for example, um, punished, in trouble. Uh, We try to implement techniques um, to mitigate that type of thing. And we get a sense of that at the front end from the parents. Um, and there's not, you know, there's times where we may not move forward with the voice of the child report if we think a child um, will be harmed. So um, my colleagues and I, and Dr. Dan Ashbourne, Dr. Kim Harris from the London Family Court Clinic, and a host of guest speakers in our training from judges to researchers, um, have all kind of pulled together to, to um, ensure that um, we're teaching professionals how to mitigate those risks. Also, by doing more Voice of the Child reports, I think we might pick up on cases where harm to the child by a parent is an issue, but not yet known. Maybe it hasn't come to light and we end up with the disclosures. I'd rather that happen than the child not ever speak about it because 
then we can implement services, the children's aid, whatever has to happen to assist in the protection of the child. So when it's done, just for my clarification, when the process is done in the outside of the court process, yes. it's done on consent of both parents. Yes. There's obviously no court involvement, thus no court order. That's right. When it navigates through the court system and a judge makes an order, yes. it doesn't have to be on the consent of the parents. Uh, no, it doesn't have to be, but in having um, uh, one of the justices from the Ontario Court of Justice um, provide, he's actually a guest speaker, um, he explained to me that he would want to know a lot more about why that parent thinks, like, doesn't want it or thinks it may not be helpful or perhaps there's, you know, other significant issues that may... That are not m- well, known per se, exactly. at that point. So they would explore with that parent, well, what's the reason you wouldn't want it? Right. Okay. Yeah. I just want to help clarify for the benefit yeah. of the listener that, yeah, you know, the, the best yeah. thing that we would, in, is when two people as adults, when their relationship transition, can work collaboratively together for the best interests of themselves, of course, also for the child or children Very that are important. party. Right? Very important. What are some of the things like people that people like yourself, professionals, don't consider when dealing with people's struggles or conflict? Well, I don't consider that no help can be given. I think that everyone can be provided assistance as whether they want it or not, you know, whether they're ready for it. So that m- might be something. So what can you suggest for pe- for anyone who is going through a relationship transition that includes children? Uh, first of all, uh, when you're making decisions, um, that you include the voice of the child. Like, at least consider it. I think that's important. Um, when you're developing parenting plans, you know, make sure they're suitable for the children that you have, their needs, right? Address their needs. Remember that. And remember that um, children's experience of separation and divorce is not exactly the same as either parent. They didn't make the choice. Or one but, family to the next. Or, you know, this choice is being imposed on them for mm-hmm. the parents to separate. So, you know, children often want their parents to stay together no matter what. Now, sometimes they feel relieved if there's less tension and so on. Um, or if there's been violence, maybe they're relieved the violence has stopped. But children usually don't want that to ha- like parents to separate. So I think parents need to really focus on the children as well. So we're almost ready to close out. What do you want to envision happening with regard to Voice of the Child? What future efforts do you want to involve or see happen? I know you've mentioned that this becomes more fundamental as part yes. of the process. Yes. Well, it needs to be really because, you know, Canada is a signature to the United Nations. And when you look at Article 12, I mean, it talks about the fact that any decision-making that's going on for children that impacts them or services for them, they should have a voice if they wish to. So I think it needs to be consistent and routinely offered um, in, as you know, family law cases uh, in particular, that's what we've been talking about today, or separation, divorce, um, or family dispute resolution services. I also hope that one day there's an accreditation process for professionals who provide this work. I'd like to see checkpoints in child welfare work and family dispute resolution work where it is discussed with the child. And that it's that is, per, uh, it's, you know, it's offered. A, it's also discussed with the parents. Oh, absolutely. Introduced at the earliest point. Yes. Once a mediator, for example, becomes aware 
there are children to this matter. Yes. Well, we need to bring it to their attention, whether we're mediators, parenting coordinators, we need to be discussing this with parents, whether we're lawyers, right? And everyone should be mentioning that the child has a right to mm-hmm. choose whether they participate. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, I'm all about change and, you know, shaking up the status quo for creating these opportunities for more inclusive consideration and input by the various stakeholders, the people that are part of the system that don't generally have their voice. So, yeah, this is a template to transition toward for sure. Well, and now I've had my voice, Greg. (laughs) And I don't consider you per se a child. (laughs) I hope not. Though... I appreciate you being here tonight. Thanks Thank very much you for, so much for helping inform us. Thank you, Greg. Okay. You've been listening to Mediation Station on CHHA, 1610 AM.